Welcome to Rise Up For You, a unique podcast dedicated to uplifting women in their day-to-day life, but open to all to enjoy and share. My name is Natalina, the founder of Rise Up For You, through interviews with various experts and professionals on relationships, investing, self-worth, entrepreneurship, love, and health. This podcast is committed to empowering and spreading knowledge and motivation to all. Rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Hello, everyone. This is Netalina, your host of the Rise Up For You podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have an incredible episode on love. You do not want to miss this. We're going to be talking with Susan Winter. She has been seen on Oprah. She's a best-selling author and relationship expert, and she is here to talk with us about the cure for heartache. She is absolutely amazing. She's been seen on the Today Show, Good Morning America, ABC, CBS, NBC Evening News, CNN, and the list goes on. She's an incredible woman, and she is here to talk with us about how we can take actionable steps so that we can get over our heartache and move on and find our partner and the love that we are looking for. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast. We're honored to have you on the show. I always like to start off the show by letting the audience get to know our guest. So can you tell us about yourself and what you do? Hi, Netta. Well, I'm a relationship expert and a dating coach, and I didn't get here as a chosen profession. It kind of happened to me. Like yourself, I started in music. I was an opera singer, which is why I came to New York. Then I kind of got tired of that. I did some classical theater, got tired of auditioning. Uh, Then I got involved in working for corporations, disseminating news and information. So I ended up working for about half of the Fortune 500 companies. Loved that. Then got my own TV show on financial news, what is now CNBC. It was called FNN at the time. Then I kind of built the home of my dreams and moved outside of New York and didn't know what to do with myself and fell in love with a guy 20 years younger, which led me to what I do today. Wow. Okay. Can we elaborate a little bit on that last part? (laughs) I think we have to. I think we have to. So I, I had this fantasy like New York was so dangerous at the time. And I thought, okay, I want to live in New York. I love my clients. I want to continue my work. I love being in television. I'll get a weekend home an hour out in the rural country. Well, believe me, it was rural. And with that comes a rural mentality. But I was in my late 30s and there were no, that's not where you go to find men. Oh my goodness, I've been in New York City. So I get out there and there's nobody to play with. I mean, I love the area and I keep seeing this gorgeous guy at my gym. And I think he's like 26, 27. I'd had younger boyfriends, so that didn't really bother me. But as it turned out, all the time I'm talking to him, he's 18. Wow. Then he flips to 19. I was 39 and I flipped to 40. So in this very provincial community, when two people after a year of socializing in the gym fell in love, it was it rocked the whole community. It rocked his mother. It rocked the girls who wanted to date him. So we lived together and we had, he was, I thought, my soulmate at the time. And it was the most beautiful incredible relationship that was fraught with so much discrimination and hatred that, you know, it, it eventually tore him up and I had to leave for his own well-being. 
uh, some seven years later, but I wrote a book called Older Women, Younger Men, New Options for Love and Romance, just as a one-off Netta. Didn't think I was a writer, just had something to say. Don't don't harm these people that really love each other. And um, it became an international bestseller. And then people started coming to me. I need help. I did it for free. Then I opened a website. Then I ended up where I am today with bigger conversations. Wow. What an incredible experience, though. I mean, for both of you guys. And uh, as you mentioned, the discrimination that I'm sure you guys had to deal with. It was crazy. I really felt like I was in Appalachia, like the the 1800s, and I'm the one black man who's living with a white woman. I mean, if they could have killed me, they would have. Right. They tried in every way. And you know, you're going through this trauma, and the rational mind is saying, I understand this is unusual. I understand this is not a common choice. But the persecution did not seem equal to the crime, which was two people loved each other and we looked like normal. We looked, I looked much younger. He looked much older. But, you know, it wasn't considered appropriate. And I thought, you know, if you find somebody to love, that's not a crime. You should be rejoicing. But um, it, so it was a real thing for me, Netta, to kind of educate society. And my only goal in writing uh, was to just illuminate that uh, there could be a social shift in consciousness. We may not understand why these two people care for each other. But let's, you know, let's just let them be, okay? Let's let them have whatever they have and try not to torment them and destroy them. You know, it's interesting in, in just hearing you say that because, I mean, this can really speak on on a larger level as well, you know, cultural backgrounds, religions, you know, people that can't marry one another due to their heritage, right. you know, um, and I have, you know, personal experience with that as well. Um, you know, being Middle Eastern and whatnot, there's a lot of that that's in the culture. So uh, even beyond what you're saying about the age, you know, I'm, there's a lot of people that I'm sure are listening to this right now and, and can definitely understand and feel what it is that you're talking about. You know, why do you think that love, love is kind of that one topic in our lives that we struggle with that, you know, often brings a lot of stress, either we can't get it right, or when we do get it right, the, the community around us doesn't, you know, accept it. Why do you think it's kind of that, um, forbidden, unforbidden topic that we have to deal with that's just, I guess, the most difficult? You know, I've thought about this a lot, and that's a brilliant point. Thank you for asking that. I think that we relegate love to some mysterious island, and we keep it that way because very few people are trained how to have this interaction. I just did a video the other day about um, if love were the DMV, would you pass the test? Meaning in any other high-risk uh, situation. We are trained. We take written tests. We learn how to handle like a, a vehicle that can kill somebody. Uh, but in love, we just start out, right? And so I think we come with this feeling like it happens magically. We don't understand it. And I don't think a lot of people realize it is simply a skill set. And if we had some good training and basics, we'd be much better at it. Mm. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of people maybe believe that that's true, but don't really put that effort or that work in. And and it does take a lot of work. And why do you think that is? Do you find that, uh, you know, working with clients or um, your community, or your tribe, that there's a struggle in getting themselves to take that step and understanding that love is a skill? 
Yeah, it is because, you know, people want to abdicate responsibility, especially when it doesn't go well. Well, you know, right. love picks you. You don't pick love. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know she was crazy. I mean, so I understand. But I think there's we have to know ourselves, Netta. And then in, once we know ourselves, we can know how to interact with a partner. But you've got multiple skill sets that need to be done in order to have an effective relationship. You, you do have to know what you want. And you have to be able to articulate it. And you have to be consistent, not giving mixed messages. Mm. And you have to have the courage to speak to speak straight and be honest. And that doesn't happen a lot. People get so guarded and so scared that they put a little breadcrumb out there and pull back. And they don't know, did they say the wrong thing? I don't know. Maybe he's not paying attention to me. Mm. So, it, you know, we second guess ourselves. And it's just very simple. It's like ordering on a menu. I think I'll have this, but I don't want that. And I'd like it. <laughs> you can, not, not the French fries, but I'll take this. Just the, the green salad, please. You know, right. you can amend it. You can create it the way you want. Right. It's a, it's interesting that you brought up that point of communication and, and saying what you want. That that seems to be one of the you know major contributing factors in a failing relationship. I think is for some reason, not being able to express what it is they want, and then it just kind of bottles up and then explodes. Absolutely, and that's when it's repressed. You know, a lot of times we come into the relationship and we're just so happy to have it that we don't want to rock the boat with inconveniencing our mate with what we really want. Mm. So that's why the honeymoon period is always so idyllic, because we're still kind of seduced and and drunk with all the hormones that are going on. And at the same time, we want everything to be perfect and we amend ourselves a lot. And then after that period where things get real, you know, we have to admit, no, I hate baseball. I really don't want to do this every weekend, Uh, you know, or whatever it is. I, I, your friend Sheila is great, but she's really, when you guys get together, do you mind doing it on your own? So it, it takes knowing ourselves and just knowing what we want. And it takes paying attention, mm. paying attention to what works, what doesn't work, redefining it, reamending. You know, we have to recalibrate ourselves at all times because we're always changing. Mm. You know, we, we grow and change every day. So we're never exactly the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'd love to, you know, we could talk about a number of different, uh, you know, points of view and topics in regards to love. And I'd love to have you back. I already know that for sure. But I'd love to know a little bit more just backing track um, with your relationship. How did you get over that heartache? And I know that you have, you know, some great advice about how we can kind of move to the next step. And a lot of times when we talk about love and relationships, we talk about how to fall in love or how to build a relationship. But a very few times do we hear about how to amend yourself or, you know, hear your soul when you fall out of something that, you know, can be devastating or traumatic when it comes to love. Right. I agree because, uh, relationships are getting much harder to get into nowadays. At the same time that we have people really working on their skills, you have more confusion. So when you get a relationship or you think you're in one and then it breaks up, it's even doubly traumatic. Mm. So I actually realized when I was working with my clients or even a friend that when they had a breakup, I literally felt like the field medic that was running out there with my medical supplies and the person had gotten their legs blown off and I'm trying to you know, stop the bleeding. I felt like I was going into a war zone because when you have a breakup, the first minutes and hours of that realization, you are so destabilized by conflicting emotions. And through working with people, I started to realize I did have a formula. Like I didn't think I had a formula, but I had a, I had steps that I did. 
And then I realized there was an order. So I actually came up with seven steps to immediately do, I call it breakup triage, the cure for heartache. It's where triage is where you attend to the most um, dire needs first. And that is the first thing you have to do is to bind the wound. By that, I mean you need to stabilize emotionally. Uh, when you first have a breakup. So I wanted to ground people so that they could handle and overcome what had just happened to them. So I take it in a series of steps. Mm. So what what exactly does that mean, bound the wound? Or, or how would you go about doing that? When you're bleeding out emotionally, you cannot think straight. One minute you love your partner, the next minute you hate. You know, one minute you're crying, the next minute you're raging. So... You cannot function if you're bleeding out emotionally. So what I try to do is I go through, well, the first step is to, most people are caught. They don't, they want to know the reason. You might have had a partner that was kind enough to tell you, or it's really obvious, like they had an affair. You know, in a way, as horrible as it is, at least you have a reason. But then you want to know the reason, well, why did you cheat in the first place? So when a breakup comes the first thing that we try to do as humans is find a reason. And if you can't find a reason, even temporarily, you can't move forward. Mm. You're just going to get stuck. So I have my clients come up, even if it's a one phrase, just for now, uh, we were in different places, they were hesitant, they're a narcissist. I don't care what it is, just label it. Then we move on to the next step. Now you've got a little patch on here, so you're not bleeding out. And the second step is to go into the loop. And the loop is what I call, whether you're deep Facebook or you're talking about them. You know when somebody has a breakup, first couple of days they're going on and on, and I can't believe this, that, blah, 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 blah. And you're telling the story over and over and over again, and you're keeping it alive in your mind. And the point is to move you past the pain. And so I, you know, we, I have techniques to get out of the loop. And then the next three steps are all about how we frame our partner, because how we see them locks in how we were going to respond to this breakup. So oftentimes we tend to look at what got away as the perfect partner and you know, we'll never have another one. And they are the only ones that will ever make love to me or understand my sense of humor. And if we frame them as the perfect partner, yeah, of course, we've got every reason to be upset because we just lost the best thing in our lives. So these are some of the steps I take people through to um, dethrone the partner. In their Good mind. word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can't get over somebody if you have them on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And none of these, none of these um, interpretations are completely accurate. They're very black and white, Netta. It's like the person we tend to go to. Then there's another one called the bad partner myth. It's like either they're perfect or they're bad. Not one thing they did was right. They were bad, 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 bad. And that's not true either. Right. You know, because you wouldn't have stayed with them. So deconstructing the myths that we have put on our partner uh, will help us move forward. Wow. Okay, so deconstructing, I mean, that, that can be challenging, I think, right? Especially when you're full of emotion and pain. And, and uh, oftentimes, as, as human beings, we kind of go to that negative side and, and really just slander or slash that person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then what happens is it feels great in the moment. Our ego gets a great hit, like, oh, we got all of our friends to say, oh, my goodness, that's horrible. You're so lucky to be rid of them. Oh, I didn't know that. And that feels good until the scales tip 
And then they start to say to each other, what was she doing with him? Is she really, does she have low self-esteem? So telling the story over and over again of the bad partner really is um, not going to help us in the long run. And, you know, there's no joy in being a victim. You don't get an award for it. So I think it's it's part of, um, you know, there's a lot of instruction that goes in between this. So I can walk people through what you do next and then you do this and then it's going to feel like that. So I try to have a really clear uh, route for them to travel, to transit. Mm-hmm. And then the, the next two are more uh, philosophical, but they're more truths. And uh, I believe um, step six is called the death of a dream. And honestly, Netta, I believe the thing that we mourn more than the person, more than the taste of their skin or the touch of their lips is the fantasy that we created about the life we would have with them. Mm. That's our movie in our mind. That That's the thing. That's the thing that you can't get over. You know, we had a dream and we dropped them in the slot as the active ingredient to make that dream happen. Like if you wanted a family and children, you find an agreeable mate. And of course, they're going to be, they fulfill your dream. You can't have the dream without them. But what you're really missing is the dream. So these component people are interchangeable. If you have a dream, Losing this partner is indeed independent of that dream. And if people can understand that concept philosophically, you feel this amazing liberation. I've had people write me going, oh my God, I was trying to get over this person for seven years. The way you said that, I got exactly what you meant. I felt this release because it's really the dream Mm -hmm. that they ignited within us that we are lamenting. And the good news is we can still have that dream. Do you think that one of the reasons why that's difficult is people are just scared of being alone and they just feel that losing somebody means that that's it. They're going to end up old, you know, by themselves with 20 cats and they're never going to find the person again. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I call the last bus myth. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense is that we kind of get into that mentality that we that we that we missed it. We missed the boat. Right. We we, we were on it and then we fell off and that's it. Now we're going to (laughs) drown. Exactly. Because um, getting into a partnership is harder now. Look at you've got open sexuality. So there is less incentive for men to partner because they can get sex all they want. So a woman has to be even more clever right now to present who she is and really make a case for why this is a wonderful thing that the man should do. And Mm -hmm. I think men have also gotten scared of women that have been dumped so many times that they don't even open up anymore. So we've got these two forces that want to be together, that are terrified and burnt out from dating. And, And I think that when you actually make a connection and it's working and then it falls apart, exactly what you said, you fear you're never gonna get it back again because never in the history of my working in this field have I had so many clients whose one reason for coming to me was to get back with their ex. Wow. And I think it's because we're not so good at making new relationships in general. Right. So when people get a feeling like, oh, I, I, I had some warmth, I had some tenderness, all they want is that person back. The way they, I would suggest they look at it is, I have achieved this in the physical world. I was able to get into a relationship. So I know how to do this. There will be more. This is my baseline. This is not a one-off. That's Anyway, that's the way I look at it from wow. my philosophical standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the last, uh, what was the last step? Was that seven or? 
Number seven is what I call you own the bank. Mm. And Netta, this was a huge realization. So I had fallen in love with a player, <laughs> half my age. Of course, that part's not a joke, but it, it uh, you know, I kind of knew going in, but I, I thought I wanted to test myself. And it's like the guy had all the signs like, dude, I'll sleep with you once. Don't expect anything more. And I knew going in and I thought there's no way I can fall for him. Right. But Susan, being Susan, felt madly in love for somebody who was the worst odds ever. But I had the most unbelievable realization. And what we had was an amazing love affair. So but at the time that he was fighting it, I kept thinking, "Okay, I I still feel love. He's not in my life. And I thought, why is this happening? You know, you can't feel love if you're not in a loving connection. And as I stood at my window at two in the morning, looking out across Manhattan, I thought, oh my God, I'm experiencing love. This man's not in my life. That means the love is coming from me. And if the love is coming from me, that means I am the origination of that love and I am the source of that love. So I never felt his love. The only love I've ever experienced was mine. And the profound nature of what I'm experiencing is so great, that means it's at my command. I said, oh my God, I own the bank. I don't need this guy's measly uh, deposit stub. I own the whole bank. I got all the love at my disposal. And that was just like, wow, I was never the same again. It changed everything for me. That's the first time I've heard anybody say anything of that sort. And it's brilliant. Like, wow. Thank you. Yeah. It just came to me because I, you know, because I, when you're going through these things, when you're a writer and when you're a communicator and when you think the way we do, you think a little bit more deeply, you can't just have an experience and not also be observing it. And it was such a profound moment. And, you know, pain will really make you search for answers. And then when you find an answer and you realize it's true, you can't wait to share it with people. But the truth is that the only love we will ever experience is not, it's, it's not to be attributed to that person. Mm. And, and we, yes, they were the catalyst. They ignited that. For some reason or other, with that person, our heart blew open and we let go. But we're not feeling their love. We are actually feeling our love for them. And and you can feel warmth from a person, don't get me wrong, but that powerful love that continues on when they're not there, heartache, longing, that's your love. It just they were the lucky recipient. They just walked by like hit it, hit them by like a two by four. They didn't know what was going on. But once you realize that it's coming from you, you realize that you always have access to it. And literally, I, I think you can choose to love whomever you want. I don't think love falls out of the sky. I think it's a choice. It could be a, a breath of a second. But if there's a moment where you let go or something just lets go inside you, and I think love is a choice, and I think giving it is our choice. Wow. Susan, thank you so much for your time and joining us today. I would love to jump into the power section with you. Can you okay. tell can you tell us one book that you've read that's had a massive impact on your life that you would recommend to us? Right. It's a little book the size of your passport. It's called The Mental Equivalent by Emmett Fox. I picked it up outside of a church where they have the little stands with all those little pamphlets for 25 cents. 
I picked it up in college, read it, and it changed my life. It's the basic philosophy of metaphysics, you know, that what you think is what you create. And Mm. nobody had ever told me that. I was in college and it was like, oh my, I knew there was more. I knew there was more to this thing than they were telling me. And that was the door that opened up everything. And what is one thing that you've accomplished that you're proud of? Hmm. Well, things I'm the proudest of, I probably wouldn't share right now in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the things I've had to overcome in my life, really. Um, I, I've had, you know, I had a wonderful childhood, but it was incredibly challenging and chaotic in my family of origin. And so I think to be able to forgive and trust, to be able to love, no matter what is done to you, I think that if you grow up with a very traumatic childhood, if you're able to love, that's a huge accomplishment. If you can do the opposite of what you've experienced. Absolutely. And are there any routines that you have in your life that help you get maybe a positive rise? So a daily routine or something that you do every morning? I do. I've always had a notebook where I write down my goals and I read them and reread them and I make them uh, not, they don't sound too lofty. I used to write very eloquently and I thought, no, it's got to be something my mind can really grab onto. And I will do these incrementally, Netta. Sometimes what I'm asking for sounds so far away that I will make it in terms that my mind can capture because once my mind can believe it, I'm halfway there. Right. And is there anything, Susan, that we didn't get a chance to talk about, like one last piece of golden nugget that you would like to share with the audience? Well, when you're dating, I would ask you to um, worry less about trusting them and place that emphasis on trusting yourself. Every day when you go out into the world, you have this brilliant inbred computer, your own little accounting system. It's like the best CPA in the world, and it is racking up data that you're not even aware of as you go through the day. It takes in every bit of information around you. And trust that you have it and trust that you know that you know. And trust asking yourself. And when you start to listen to yourself, you might find that what you're hearing is in complete opposition to everything around you. And then you know what's happened then. You actually have your own way. Because when you live an authentic life, it will never look or sound like anybody else's. So don't be afraid of that. I love that. Susan, thank you again so much for joining us here on the Rise Up For You podcast. Again, it was such an honor to have you today. How do we thank stay you, con- How do we stay connected and how can we support you if we want to get a hold of you? Oh, you wonderful woman. Okay, on <laughs> um, YouTube, I have videos I put out two a week. I'm actually Susan E. Winter on YouTube. My website is susanwinter.net. And on Facebook, I'm author Susan Winter. But if you just punch in Susan Winter, you're going to see a whole bunch of social media sites come up and come on board. Talk to me. If you want me to shoot a certain video, come to my YouTube channel and let me know what you want to see and I'll do it. Thank you again so much, Susan. Thank you, Netta. You're lovely. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. If so, please share it with your friends and your family. You can post it on social media and just help us spread the word. We would really, really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, you can head over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and let us know how we're doing. You can leave us a review and a rating of the podcast because we would love to know how we're doing and we want your help to be better. 
Plus, this really is one of the best ways to support our podcast, Rise Up For You. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Podcast Directory, Blueberry, and of course, if you head over to our website, www.riseupforyou.com, you can check out all of the show notes and listen to the podcasts on the website. Thank you again for tuning in to Rise Up For You. Be better today than yesterday and prepare for a greater tomorrow.